Our text this morning for the message is Psalm 103. Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 103. And as I prepared for this Father's Day, I, of course, want to talk about our Heavenly Father. And so my mind went to Psalm 103, verse 13. And as I went there, and I'll read that one first, I remembered some very precious things in this whole psalm, Psalm 103. May I just say on the front end of this sermon, learn Psalm 103, learn it, meditate on it, memorize it, the 103rd Psalm. But more importantly, do do what it says. What a choice, what a, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, the 103rd Psalm, and I want to read our Father's Day text and then back off and look at some other things, and we may have a couple of weeks on this psalm. I trust it'll be helpful to you. Verse 13 says, like as a father pitieth or has compassion on or loves his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. And we're told one of the things about our Lord is he is a father to his children. As earthly fathers, we, we pity, we have compassion on our children. At least that's the way it's supposed to be. Now, many times earthly fathers fail so miserably and, and so wickedly. Some fathers are harsh and selfish and abusive and, and absent and, and so forth. But that's not the... The call of God for his men, we are, if God gives us children, we are to love them and to pity them with compassion. We see them struggling and our hearts are to go toward them with compassion. And we are to teach and show them and model before them and pray for them and take them up and and do all the things that a compassionate father does for his children. The Lord infinitely more so does for his children. So there's our text on this Father's Day. We're going to talk about our Heavenly Father. Now go back to Psalm 103, verse 1. And this verse says, a Psalm of David, verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So do you notice there how David is talking to himself? You ever found yourself talking to yourself? Uh, This is a good thing if you talk to yourself like David talked to himself. Sometimes talking to ourselves may not be a good thing. (laughs) We won't talk about that too much this morning, but here it's a good thing. David says to himself, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And then he repeats it, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So he's he's talking to himself and stirring himself up to his highest duty. What is our highest duty? What is our chief duty? responsibility. It is to praise God. It is to thank 
and worship the God who made us. This is the chief duty of man. This is the highest responsibility we have. And so David is talking to himself, stirring himself up that he might fulfill this chief obligation that all people have. And if you want to see just how sinful people are, and even our own hearts, look at how little we praise him. And then if you look at an unsaved man, how he never rightly praises God. And an unsaved woman, how selfishly they live and how they never praise God and always murmur at God's ways. And this chief duty, they trample under their feet. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, Romans 1 says. And it shows just how depraved and wicked men are that they won't praise God, that they won't thank him. We sit down before a table of food and we do what? Well, we just, we just thank God. He fed us again. He gave us our daily bread. Like Jesus said, ask him for daily bread. And when he gives you daily food, thank him. But we thank him at all times, I trust. Pray without ceasing. And all things give, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It's his will. So David, the psalmist, the man after God's own heart, writes words, and yet they're not merely David's words. Always remember when you read Scripture and we say the Apostle Paul said, or John writes, don't ever forget that these were mere human authors, and these words that they write are the very words breathed out by God. There's a human author, but there's the divine author behind this human author. So it's never just the words of David or the words of Paul or the words of John. It's always penned by David but breathed out by God. So you never want to have a light view of Scripture. You always have, want to have a high view of Holy Scripture. So we say David said, but we know these are God's words, and these are written for us by this man and yet given by God so that all of God's people for all time might do our chief duty, which is to praise God. If you read this psalm in one setting, and it'll take you probably two minutes to do so or three, if you read slowly, in the 22 verses you will not find one petition. He doesn't ask God for anything, not even once. There's no petition. There's no request. Now, should we petition God? Should we request it and, and ask God for everything? Yes, all, all, all the time. But at other times, there are times when we should ask him for nothing. We should just stand in awe of who he is and just worship him and thank him. Psalm 103 is what we might call pure praise. Pure praise. Not one request, not one petition, not one supplication from David. Just straight out praise to the Lord. Blessing him. That is speaking well of him to him. That is what it means to bless the Lord to praise the Lord, to speak well of him. And so David does it in verses 1 through 5. In verse 6 through 18, he calls on the people of God to praise the Lord. And then in the last four verses, 19 through 22, he calls on all of creation to praise the Lord. So David praises him, he calls on us to praise him, and he calls on the rest of creation to praise him. So are you ready to praise the Lord? Let your heart go out in praise now to him as we read this psalm. And I'll read it and pause and just make some comments as we read it. Instead of reading the whole thing, which is 
how I normally like to do it and prefer that we just read the scripture and let it stand. But if I do that, we may have three sermons instead of two, so I'm going to try to compress the time a little bit and read a scripture and make a comment. And so, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. So he is both the inward man, his heart, his soul, and the whole man. The inward man, his soul, his heart, and his whole man. That's what he's saying. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And so in light of God's benefits, his blessings to us, should we not praise him with all of our heart? You'll find that word all some nine times in this chapter. All that is within me. Forget not all his benefits. He forgives all mine iniquities. He has mercy for all that are oppressed and so forth and so on. Beloved, here's the truth. All his benefits demand all my heart. Would you agree with that? Such kindness, such benefits from my Father in heaven. Multitudinous, steady, continually coming, grace upon grace, like the waves of the sea. One comes in and there's another one right behind it and another one comes and another one comes and God's mercy comes to us day and night. And all of his benefits, beloved, require all of our heart. And I think it's a scourge of our day, don't you, that we have contented ourselves with just a little bit of our time, a little bit of our effort, a little bit of our zeal, just a little bit, just the, the drippings, the leftovers. We work him in if we can. If we haven't got other things to do, we'll maybe read our Bible, maybe pray if we, hadn't, if we got all the, uh, the, the, the chores done or whatever. Beloved, let's make our life a prayer. Let's pray that we can make our whole life a prayer. Let's make all that we do with everything in us, all that we do with our hands, do it with all of our might for his glory. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. So all of his benefits require all my heart. We're talking about a total commitment to our Lord who has so blessed us. And so let us look now. He says in verse 3, what is the first blessing? What is the first benefit? He says, forget not all his benefits. Why does he say that? Why does he say, praise the Lord and don't forget what he's done? Is it because we're prone to forget? I think it is. We get up in the morning and we say, oh me, another day. I need help, Lord, today. And, and we begin to, before long, we can get right into the mode of, of murmuring and complaining. Tired, didn't sleep good, back hurts, head hurts. It's kind of stopped up. And I got to go face them people. <laughs> and before you know it, you just sit down and miserable and you have forgotten, beloved, who you are. You've forgotten what God has done for you. You've forgotten how kind God has been to you and to me. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is getting ready to leave. He's been with them, and he writes to the new generation now that's about to go into the promised land. And he is not going to be with them very much longer. And he writes 
two phrases over and over and over again in Deuteronomy. And the phrases are these. Beware lest ye forget. And he says that a dozen times maybe or so. And then he adds the other side of that. Thou shalt remember what the Lord did. Blah, blah, blah. So he gives them both sides of the coin. As he gets ready to leave them, he's not going to be with them much longer. And he warns them of the danger of forgetfulness. Beware lest ye forget, and thou shalt remember. And here our psalmist, our chapter before us, we see the Holy Spirit telling us, don't forget what God has done for you. Don't forget his benefits. And what is the first benefit that he mentions in verse 3? Of all the benefits, of all the blessings that he gives us, he lists as the very first one, verse 3. Forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Top of the list. First benefit. Greatest blessing of all. First thing to thank him for. He forgives sinners. Even He has forgiven even me all my iniquities. I stand before the holiness of a just God and because of the work of his son for me, I am forgiven. My debt is cleared. The book is blotted out. The charges no longer stand. He forgives all thine iniquities. That's first. One old country man said, God has forgiven me all my sins, and he's never going to hear the end of it. And beloved, is that not what we're going to do for all eternity? He's never going to hear the end of it. For all eternity, we're going to be looking upon the glory of Christ, and we're going to be saying, thank you for forgiving me my sins. And I'm only here because you're gracious to forgive me of my sins. First benefit, top of the list, first one. And that is first because it is greatest, the greatest need that we have. What is the greatest need we have? What is the whole Bible about? How man can be right with God. Sin is our problem. Christ is the answer. And it is through the work of Christ and by faith in Christ alone. Faith alone in Christ alone, by the grace of God alone, for the glory of God alone. We learn that God has wrought salvation for sinners. He forgives all our iniquities. First benefit. Secondly, same verse, verse 3. Who healeth all thy diseases. And I think because of the parallelism here, this first phrase with the second in verse 3. He forgives our iniquities. He heals our diseases. He's probably thinking about the great disease of sin. There is no greater disease than sin. Cancer may ravage our body. Sin destroys our soul forever. Dementia may cause us to lose our mind. And that's a sad thing. But sin will separate us from the beauty which is God. The, the purity and the joy which is the Lord himself. It will separate us into outer darkness. Sin is the greatest disease. So I got a feeling that the diseases that he heals us of, spoken of in verse 3, is that greatest of all diseases, greater than leprosy, 
Leprosy in the Bible was a picture of sin. It defiles, it separates that leprous man or woman from the people of God. It cuts a man off from all social interactions. It alienates that man, and that's what sin does to us. Sin is like leprosy. It's like cancer, but it's worse. But we bless the Lord who forgives all iniquities and heals our diseases. And if this is talking about physical diseases in our bodies, he heals those too. In fact, our, our testimony as Christians is this. He healed me, and he healed me, and he healed me, and he healed me, and I'm here today because he's healed me, and one day I'm going to die and I'm going to be healed. That's our testimony. He heals me, and he heals me, and he heals me, and he heals me, and he heals me, but you say, yeah, but Christians get sick. Yeah, and God heals them, but that one died. I know it, and God healed him. So he's going to heal us. That's our story. He's our healer. And I'm only saying these things because some, you know, say today that God desires us all to be healed at all times and Christians should never get sick. And it's hard to reconcile that view with some other scriptures. God allows his will to be done in his choicest people. Job, the most godly of all men, was the sickest of all men at one time. And Paul had a thorn in the flesh and so forth. We don't We'll spend a lot of time there, but, but God is our healer, and he heals us of the worst sin, and one day he will heal us of all sin. And I think of the brothers and sisters who've left this church in death, no longer with us. I miss them, don't you? So many I think of. Talked to Miss Edna this morning, by the way. She said, please tell everybody I love them, and I miss them, and I wish every day that I could be with y'all. And to pray for Brother Wayne, he is in hospice care now. I think of those that have left us who are now healed. We bless our Lord who forgives us and heals us. Verse 4, he redeems our life from destruction. Some translations say from the pit. He redeems us from the pit. Perhaps that is referring to brushes with death, and God preserved us. And we were almost consumed, and we were kept safe. And we almost came to a, a, a tragic end, and God shielded us. He redeems our life from destruction. He redeems us from the pit. He's our safety. He will guard us. Not a single shaft can hit till the God of love sees fit. Plagues and death around me flies while he pleases. I cannot die. God will shield us and protect us. And then one day he'll say, it's too precious to me for you to be there. Come home. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It's precious to him. And he'll say, I don't want to be away from you anymore. I want you home with me. Come home, child. And we will weep here and they will leap there. We weep and they leap. We mourn and they worship on the other side. Now, that's not universal. I'm not saying everybody goes to heaven. I'm not speaking of universal truth. I'm speaking of blessed covenant truth that Christians have. That we who die in Christ die most safely. And we who know Christ live and die in peace. 
He redeems our life from destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who is our writer again of these words? Who is it? King David, a psalm of David. David would wear a crown. David knew something about crowns. But no crown that ever sat on his head could be compared to the crown that God puts on the heads of all of his children. What does he do? He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. Verse 5, he satisfies our mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle's. On earth there is no fountain of youth for the body. There is no fountain of youth on the earth for our body. But in Christ, in Christ there is a fountain of youth for the soul. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 40, 31. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. He renews our strength. Our bodies are moving toward more and more frailty, but our soul is moving more and more toward glorification. Our bodies will fold one day and, and will come to the end of the earthly life, though God is going to still raise that body one day and change it to a glorified body. But the outward man may perish, but the inward man is not getting weaker and weaker and weaker. We're moving toward resurrection. We're moving toward glorification. We're moving toward being transformed into the likeness of who? Of our Lord Jesus, Christ's likeness. So there's David's praise, verses 1 through 5. He praises God, and then he calls on the people to praise him. Verse 6, the Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. The Lord works strongly for those who are oppressed. He helps the widow and orphan. He helps the outcast, the poor. His heart moves in compassion toward the overlooked, the weak. God is a God of compassion. He is a God that executes righteousness and judgment for those who are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. Wow, let me read that again. Verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. Even though we provoke him, often he is slow to anger. Right? Praise God for that. Verse 8. Having just mentioned Moses and the children of Israel in verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. And then verse 8 is a, almost a quotation of Exodus 34, 6. Turn there in your Bible, Exodus 34. Verse 
Exodus 34, and we're going to read 5 and 6, but before we read it, let's set the stage. So Moses has asked in chapter 33 of Exodus, Lord, show me your ways. And our psalm said he made known his ways to Moses. So this, this Psalm 103 verse 7 is taking us back to Exodus. It's based on this passage in Exodus. Moses says, Lord, show me your ways. And our psalmist says, the Lord made known his ways to Moses, his acts of the children of Israel. So Moses says, Lord, show me your ways. And God speaks words of, Moses, uh, words of comfort to Moses. And then Moses ratchets it up another notch, and he says in Exodus 33, 18, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God said, I'm going to pass before you, Moses, and I'm going to proclaim my name. And I'm going to be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. But you can't see my face. No man can see me and live. This is Exodus 33, 20. And the Lord says, here's, here's the way it's going to work, Moses. There's a place here. It's a place with a rock split. I want you to get in the cleft of that rock. And I'm going to make my glory pass by you. And I'm going to cover you with my hand while I pass by you so you will not be consumed. So God covers him so he won't be consumed. Do you see the gospel there? The glory of God would consume Moses, and yet God shields him with his hand and covers him so that he's not consumed. Isn't that our story as well? Jesus covers us with his righteousness. He covers us and shields us so that we're not consumed from the glory and holiness of God. And so he says, I'm going to pass by and I'm going to take away my hand, and you're just going to see the back parts. You're just going to see the afterglow. You're going to see the after radiance. You're going to get a partial glimpse when I pass by Moses, but you can't look upon my face and live. And so verse 5, Exodus 34, and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So Yahweh, the Lord, says, let me tell you who I am. I want to proclaim my name to you. So he tells him his name, and here's what he says about himself. Here's the kind of God he is. Verse 6, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Notice he uses the whole gamut of words. I forgive iniquity. I forgive transgressions. I forgive sin. And that will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth Generation and Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Now, what is going on? The Lord passes by and proclaims his name, and he says, Here's who I am, Moses merciful and gracious, slow in anger, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, and yet I will by no means clear the guilty. I will visit their iniquities. You say, 
I'm confused. What's going on? How can he be merciful and forgive all sin? And how can he at the same time visit the sin and not clear the guilty? And here's where we thank God that we have a New Testament. Where we have a, the privilege and benefit of looking back upon the cross. For when God passed by Moses that day in the cleft of the rock, Moses saw, as it were, the back parts, the afterglow. But when we read what God says here of himself, he punishes sin and he totally forgives sin. How does that work? How can you punish sin and totally forgive sin at the same time? Isn't that a contradiction? How can God visit the sin upon the sinner and punish them and yet say at the same time, I totally forgive iniquity and transgression and sin because I'm merciful and gracious. And here's how it happens. It's impossible to understand until we look at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There we see the front side of God's glory. Moses saw the back side a little bit, just a, just a glimpse, and he didn't perhaps, perhaps he didn't, as many have not since then, understood how can God forgive sin but visit sin? He will by no means clear the guilty. And yet he assures that he's merciful. That doesn't make sense, beloved, until you look at the cross of Jesus and you see God there visiting sin with his justice and totally clearing the sinner. And there we see the front side of God's glory. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. He is plenteous in mercy. That's what Psalm 103.8 says. It's based on that truth that God proclaimed about himself in Exodus 34.6. It's the fundamental Old Testament confession on the character of God. It will be repeated in the prophets. It'll be repeated in the law after Exodus. It will be repeated and reminded again and again of the people. He is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. And we know this because it's what he told Moses he was. But even Moses didn't see it like we do because we look at the cross. And there we see the justice and the mercy, don't we? In fact, there's another psalm that says, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Where is it that mercy and truth meet together? Where is it that righteousness and peace kiss how is it possible for righteousness, the very righteousness of God, the very justice of God to come together and produce peace? And where can mercy and truth mix? Well, nowhere but the cross. The justice of God is poured out and the mercy of God is extended. The wrath of God is demonstrated and the love of God is seen. So verse 8 in Psalm 103 is amazing. He is merciful. Do you know this? He is merciful. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. Does God get angry? How do you explain the flood? Was that not the justice of God poured out on the world? How do you explain the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah if you can't call it the anger and justice of God? How do you explain the cross of Jesus 
if that's not the anger of God against sin? How can you read the book of the Revelation where you see God pouring out his justice on all of creation? He is a just God. He's slow to anger, and we can rejoice in that. Some of us are quick to anger. We have a quick fuse. We have a hair trigger. We're ready to fight at the drop of a hat, and we'll, we'll throw the hat down. We're ready. I'm glad God is not like that. I'm glad God is slow to anger because the truth, beloved, is we provoke him to anger a lot. We grieve him a lot. We had our prayer of confession this morning. He's told us not to do some things. We run ahead and do it. He's told us, do these things, and we slough them off as if they were just the suggestions of a fool. And yet they're the commands of God, and we just say, ah, nah, nah, I'm not going to do that. And God would be just to crush us and devour us on the spot, to crush us in our bed while we slept, to destroy us when we take that step. It would be just of God, and we could not say, that's not fair. It would be most just. He is slow to anger. You can rejoice with that, and so can I. Slow to anger. Plenteous in mercy. Verse 9. We'll see if I can find a stopping point here in a minute or two. I'll be told in a few minutes we're done like we were last week. Is Hallie in here? Oh. Wait, wait a few more minutes, though. Uh, <clears throat> verse 9. He will not always... Chide or accuse, neither will he keep his anger forever. So he does chasten, he does display anger, but that is his strange work, that is his work that he has not told us in verse 8, that is his name, he's merciful and gracious. He will be angry with the wicked, he is angry with the wicked every day, Psalm seven eleven says. He's angry with the wicked every day. He's like an archer there in Psalm 7. He has knocked an arrow. He has bent his bow and made it ready. He has wet his sword. He has taken the stone and sharpened the sword. And he has a very sharp sword and it's in his hand. And he will let that sword fall one day on the wicked. And there's a lot of fall into for that sword to, for that righteous sword to do and if it weren't for Christ it would fall on us and if it weren't for Jesus that's, that arrow would hit its mark in me and I would taste the justice of God forever and you would be you would be an object of wrath we sang this morning about a child of wrath has now been loved we're now no longer children of wrath we're now adopted sons and daughters Verse 10, he hath not dealt with us after our sins. He hath not dealt with us after our sins. I just want to stop after every phrase just to let it sink in. God has not dealt with us after our sins. Why has he not dealt with us after our sins? Here's why. Because he dealt with Jesus in our stead as to our sins. He dealt with Jesus as to our sins. If God keeps a record of our sins, none of us can stand. 
But God deals with our substitute, and he deals with my sins there on the cross, and he deals with your sins on the cross. Have you laid hold of that right there and nothing else? Put both hands around the work of Jesus Christ, throw everything down, and then lay hold of him alone. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. My faith has found that resting place. He's not rewarded us according to our iniquities. And all God's people said, what a God, what benefits are ours. Have you praised him this day? This is the Lord's day. Start out the week right. Every new week, every new Lord's day come around. Let your heart remember and say to yourself and talk to yourself, perhaps before you ever rise up, oh soul, you ready? It's the Lord's day. We're going to bless his name with everything that we are. My soul, my heart, I will worship in spirit and truth. I will not forget his benefits. I will remember three through 10 is where we've gotten so far. We'll pause right there and pick it up next time. I trust if the Lord wills. Let's stand now for prayer. Our Father, we pray you'll give us quick minds to not forget. To remember that maybe as a little child, we heard of Jesus. We heard of the cross. We heard of the resurrection. We heard about a God that is merciful and gracious. And we've heard it so often. We've heard it so many times. I pray that it would not be to us a common thing and I pray it would not be a fuzzy thing on the edges of our minds that we sometimes can remember but Lord it would be focal and central to us all the time so that we might do our chief duty what is the chief duty of man to glorify him to glorify God and enjoy him forever and I pray our Day to day on this Lord's Day, and I pray this upcoming week, you'll give us a sharp mind to remember and a ready soul to bless you for all your benefits. Thank you for the good things. You satisfy our mouth with good things. You renew us like the eagle. You help us to endure all the ebbs and flows of life so that we can say, here I am by the grace of God today. You've held us up. You've sustained us. You've forgiven us. You've preserved us. You've forgiven us and healed us. And you've not dealt with us after our sins. You've revealed your name to us. It is a name of one who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. And this day we glory in you, our heavenly Father. And if we had a good father on this earth, we're blessed. And yet, even the best of earthly fathers is infinitely inferior to and, and miserable, really, compared to you, our Heavenly Father. 
And so on this day, we rejoice to be able to say, Abba, Father, our dear Father. And to know that we have been brought into your family through your gracious work at the cross on our behalf. Your dear only begotten Son that never strayed from you worked on behalf of all us rebels and wretches and then brought us in so that we can know his Father. You, our Father, thank you. Thank you. Bless your holy name. Bless your name this day. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. And thank you for what you've not done. You've not dealt with us after our sins. You've not rewarded us according to our iniquities. And we'll continue to ponder this great psalm in the days ahead if you'll help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.